Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and today our good friend and Bible teacher, Donna Van Leer. Good morning, friends. And I'm saying good morning because we're actually doing this in the morning. We normally do this in the afternoon. Does it feel better in the morning for you guys? I mean, it kind of does. I feel fresh right now. Yeah. yeah. I feel a little fresher. Yeah, it feels, yeah, it feels good. I'm feeling ex- extremely fresh. Right. Having that- come off a couple of weeks of uh, COVID. COVID you recovery. You look good, Mo. Yeah. Look fantastic. You sound good. I feel amazing. <laughs> it is good to have Mo back because um, it, it, we, we, we survived, right, without yeah. you. But in the way that you survive a restaurant with a wobbly table. We stick the salt packs at the, underneath <laughs> yeah. the, the legs. Yeah. Like you can make Prop your way up. through the dinner, but it annoys you the whole time. And you just wish that that table was fixed. And so I feel like our table is not going to wobble today. Well, it's, it's definitely good to be back. And today we are continuing the conversation of the big reveal. As you know, since June, we have been going through the book of Revelation uh, methodically, strategically. And uh, this time, uh, this week... We are going to cover Revelation 17 and 18, and uh, Darren, you you spoke this week um, and covered 18 yeah. and 19. Well, actually, I tried, yeah. I, and if you're listening to this in the future, this the recording date on this is November 12 mm-hmm. of 2020, and you know our country is... I guess half of the country thinks that the election is over and the other half of the country thinks we're in the middle of an election, Mm -hmm. which is a fascinating place Mm -hmm. to be. Um, And it felt like a really interesting time to be talking about uh, Babylon, uh, which is chapter 17, 18. And then Donna, while I was in Montana, covered, was it 16 that you covered? Yes. Yeah, yeah. About becoming Babylon. Mm -hmm. And... Here we are. Um, I don't know. It's funny when you say Babylon, it has so many, it brings baggage with it, depending on where you are, you know, what you've been through. And, you know, uh, I was hoping that we could somehow try to communicate when, when the people that got this letter from John, who would have had a, mostly a Jewish background, like, what did they think when they experienced Babylon? Like when they saw that word Babylon, that city, that meant something to them. Mm. Um and of course, there's a, a prophetic idea of what he could have been talking about, which Donna, would you come down on the idea that seven hills and that like that it actually he he was making a, an under the table reference to Rome itself? Yeah, you know, I, I do personally believe that there are many people who don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, too. And again, it's it's not a point. I don't understand why people are argue about the end times because if we don't plan to be here why are we arguing about these things yeah but yeah i i do tend to believe that the seven hills because it's always referred to as rome is the seven hills so yeah i do yeah this last year shannon and i uh got to go to rome Mm. um some being a pastor comes with its own sets of like every job like ups and downs but one of the the pastor perks that i had never experienced before was uh, and Kelly Savage, if you're listening to this, thank you, 
if you would do my daughter's wedding um, in uh, in Venice, uh, we would pay for you to go. Now, the answer to that, they don't cover this in seminary. So you seminary students, listen to me. The answer is yes. <laughs> Always yes. Always yes. So my wife and I got to go to Italy uh, in June of last year. and uh, But we did a tour in Rome. We were trying to do it fast. So we we're like doing the fast track Rome. But every tour guide we had in Rome referred to it as the city of seven hills. These mm-hmm. aren't Christian people. They're not mm-hmm. even religious people. That's just what you know. if you're right. knowledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're in Rome. You know, when you call New York the Big Apple, mm-hmm. like we know in America what we're talking about with that, you know, so that that, that certainly uh, implies that. What does it mean prophetically? Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, um, what I was struck by was when you taught, Donna, about what what it looked like to become Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um, because over history, there was a literal Babylon uh, in, in the book of Daniel, the uh, second Chronicles, second Kings was a big part of Israel's history. But there's also the idea of the spiritual side of it. Like if you think of familiar spirits and think, okay, this mm-hmm. demonic force uh, that influenced Babylon, you know, then is still a spiritual force around today. And so it seems like the Bible actually uses that idea to just sort of encapsulate what uh, what a world power uh, could be, which is Babylon. So that's the, the sort of this overarching. And so whether it was Rome, the Assyrians, uh, whatever world thing. And the one thing unique, I think, to today's is that this is the first time I can remember that a world uh, itself feels like a Babylonian idea. Mm-hmm. You think about the Western governments, the Chinese government, the Russian government. They're sort of this all intertwined, you know, together. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a fascinating thought. But you talked about even in our own culture how it's becoming more Babylonian and less Jerusalem-y, right? It would be right. that thing. And could you, is it possible to sum that up from a couple of weeks ago even? I know it's been a couple weeks since you taught it. but Right, yeah. Um, yeah, We. it's, it's interesting because um, one of the men in the service came up to me and, and he said, the church doesn't know our history, you know, which is what I tried to lay out was the history of how we got here. Because a lot of people think, well, how'd this happen? It just kind of happened overnight. No, it didn't happen overnight. Like I said, there were, there were preachers who were trying to send out the, the warnings and they were really watchmen on the tower saying, Hey, this is coming to America. Wake up. Mm -hmm. And A.W. Tozer said, when World War One ended, and that ended in 1918, 102 years ago, that that's when this big popular evangelism began to spread throughout the country. And its key words were belief, program, vision, and they talked about a big, lovely Jesus, and Christ was a useful convenience, hmm. and sin was, sin was kind of ushered to the door because nobody really liked Nobody liked that word. Nobody liked to be reminded of that. So 102 years ago, that's when all of this began to usher in. And the seminaries in the 1920s were given over to the German school of higher criticism, which which just made the Bible, it was, it was full of myths. It was man's search for God. It wasn't God's word to us. It's our search for him. So basically, all of the historical accounts in there are just, they're just fiction, is what they are. 
And again, there were preachers who were saying, you have to be aware of what is happening. R.A. Torrey died in, in 1928, and he was saying, wow. this is wrong. <laughs> you have to stop this. And William Jennings Bryan died in 1925, and he was out there saying, this is coming. It's here in America. You have to stop it. Interesting. Because you could pick up from that uh, with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. Um who wrote amazing things, but his, if, if you've not read his biography that Eric Metaxas wrote, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But he spoke a lot of, of Bonhoeffer's uh, tension of feeling that exact mm-hmm. theology coming out of Germany, which then he would actually sort of ascribe to uh, why many of the churches didn't do anything during the rise of Hitler. Uh, the cattle cars of with Jews going by, screaming, and the, the stories of the churches singing louder as they went by. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to deal with it. Um, and I guess that that was, so last Sunday, that was what I felt like the Lord was, okay, so if this is becoming more Babylonian and less Jerusalem, mm-hmm. you know, then is there a playbook from the Bible that we could look at, that we could follow and say, you know, how do we just not just survive here, but how do we thrive mm-hmm. here? Right. Because the the madness of it, and I, this is, I guess, a, this will be the eternal question of whether God causes it or God allows it or whatever. But I look back and think all those warnings coming were true and when we're experiencing it right now. But maybe not to be nihilistic, but this is just the logical conclusion of what civilization becomes the more we steer from God and the more away from secularism mm-hmm. any civilization ever that this is the the logical conclusion of. right and so where we happen to be on the spectrum of that of whatever civilization mm-hmm. uh how do we thrive in that you know right um and right and, now with an election like and so here we are in our version of it and i you know i know mo is uh, is 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 about 10 years younger than us but you know, he was watching Saved by the Bell in the 90s, and we were actually working as professionals. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> full house. Full house. We had full-time jobs. Yeah. I was gainfully employed trying to figure out how right. to feed children. Right. But, uh, but he, I, I've not seen anything like this mm-hmm. in an, our kind of an election. You can, I can remember back to, you know, when Bill Clinton won, and I mean, like, the the, the religious folks especially were, were apoplectic, like how... How could we ever survive, you know, this? And I remember when President Obama won and this sort of uh, hopelessness that we felt. And I remember, you know, the hanging chads of 2000 mm-hmm. when... Uh, that was my first election. Was the, that it? You the, voted the, in it? Yeah, the first presidential election that I voted in was the hanging chad election. Mm-hmm. And, and how, how long did that take? Was that It was over 30 days, I remember. 35 days, yeah. 35, okay. Yeah. And that was just one state. That one, was being contested. One state, and specifically one city and mm-hmm. one district within mm-hmm. it, because mm-hmm. it came down to those 537 votes. Yeah. And, and you look back on it, like, I love our system of government. It's done pretty well for us. But it really depends on these local level things. And Do you remember, like, the ballots themselves? I remember looking at the ballots uh, on the news from Miami going, how on God's green earth did that become the ballot that was being used? <laughs> right. You know, and and what do you do in a world where, how could they ever know that? There were 10,000 of these ballots with a dimple here, mm-hmm. a hanging chad there. Mm-hmm. 
like it became a place where every vote, every legal vote should count. I 100% believe that. Mm -hmm. But what do you do when you don't know who they voted for? This is a piece of paper. Now you've got lawyers and obviously the Supreme Court uh, ruled in that case. And uh, you will find Democrats to this day specifically Mm -hmm. who will use the phrase they stole the Mm -hmm. election. And of course, now that's the language. She was on the other foot now. Mm and it's caused a lot of division. Like, are you guys experiencing that in your homes or with your kids or around like the division of what do we do about this election and how do you talk about it? Uh, no, I have not experienced that in my home. But I, I do find this fascinating that not one city has burned since the election was called by the mainstream media. That's fair. Um, no businesses have been torched. They haven't been looted because the people of God go to war in a different way. Yeah. And are already praying for our country. Yeah. Whatever that whatever yeah. that means. They're already praying. Yeah. And I you know, you say that sentence and I can already feel the the blood pressure rising in some people that voted for yeah. Biden saying, Well, am I not the people of God? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so that's certainly And I don't certainly. I know that's not yeah. what you mean mm-hmm. at all. But it is important to know and to think and if Maybe it's if the side that you are the most passionate about is the side that will burn the place down mm-hmm. if they lose, you maybe have some soul searching to do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in your life. You know, right. certainly right, left, whatever. Like we all have things in our in our past or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know that definitely informed me a lot this time. Like I don't want. Uh, I don't want people burning stuff down, but I also don't want to not vote a certain way just to avoid them mm-hmm. burning stuff down. That's actually sort of ironic because it's like the very thing that the people burning stuff down are accusing the other side of are actually what they're doing. Mm. You know, you see uh, certain congressmen and senators making lists of names of people that they're going to. Right remember and it just feels like dude that's what they did in venezuela Mm -hmm. like that's that's not democratic at all Mm -hmm. to punish people but yeah i i I think my biggest takeaway and it's been interesting this year because both of my sons are were old enough to vote this year uh which was kind of a neat thing you know they're um 18 19 and so and they were they wanted to they were interested in the process and learning about how all this works. And I think the biggest takeaway in the conversations that we've even had is is them asking or just kind of thinking through processing out loud, like, you know, asking questions like, Dad, what, why do people put so much hope in, in a president? Like, mm-hmm. like people's allegiances and loyalties um, are like all in on. A presidential election even yeah. as believers they they're, they're seeing that and even some of their friends that are college age now like and then just kind of questioning like why why so much weight so much um allegiance loyalties trust and hope in in a man mm-hmm. and they're asking those questions like why why are they doing that because thankfully for them at least like they they're finding they they're seeing the bigger picture and they know that their hope is outside of that mm-hmm. um, but seeing people get so riled up and so you know excited for the person they voted for as like the be all end all for their for their life is kind of shook them a little bit to mm-hmm. know that that's where people have put their final hope in yeah 
um, it's interesting seeing them process some of that and coming to the reality of kind of where where we are as humanity and as as a society even yeah there is a way and it's a balance to say uh, this person represents what I believe to be the best path forward in a policies and mm-hmm. uh, to do that without putting your identity in it and putting your hope in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because when it's there and the way that you kind of know that when your hope is in it is if your team didn't win and you are terrified. Right. Um, making predictions of how it's going to go, you know, um, th- then the, maybe your hope is in the wrong thing. Um, when we talk about Babylon, the literal Babylon, uh, it, the book of Daniel was written from that Babylon. Mm-hmm. And something that is, it just struck me. Because, you know, I think on Sunday I said that there were four kings in just the first 10 chapters of Babylon. But I was wrong. There are five kings. Because Daniel 1 opens up with Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. Mm-hmm. So he's the fifth king. In it. And Daniel, just a couple of sentences in, says that hey, Jehoiakim was you know, taken down. And, and that's like a multi-year, multi-long you know, mm-hmm. process of where this guy was. There, it'd be like our city, our state invaded, our you know our our governor, Governor Lee, taken into captivity, and now he's living you know in a prison mm-hmm. in Alabama because Alabama invaded Tennessee, and and what would that look like? Because um, I, I what I was asking myself the question was of these five kings now. Okay, so you've got uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus, all of which represented uh, different power grabs and invasions and wars like which of those four if they were the democratic or the republican primary which one would i have voted for mm-hmm. like can you imagine you know bernie sanders right. going up against cyrus you know in a debate <laughs> like i don't know who you vote for in that and then i thought actually i would have voted for Joachim because he was what i knew he would have been familiar to me. Mm-hmm. But Second Kings 22, I think 23, 24, 25 says that Jehoiakim was doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors had done. Mm. And my point was, historically, you know, just uh, the thing that I hear a lot right now is that character matters in a politician. And I believe that character matters in everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, should character come in? Because look, the, we on the the Christians. I'm old enough to remember the religious right from the early '90s, late '80s. We were 100 in, in the character department, and we put our flag in the ground on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does matter, but at the end of the day, God's going to put in power who He's going to put in power. He's going to remove Daniel two verse twenty one, who's not in power, mm-hmm. and their character doesn't seem to come into play with who he's choosing and when he's choosing them. Now, right. how does that make any sense? Uh, which which theologian said it that the, a God big enough to be worshipped is not big enough to be understood, or is not to be understood. So a God big enough to be understood mm-hmm. is a God that is not big enough to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. Um, because why did God choose Nebuchadnezzar? And why, you know, prophecies here in chapter two, three, four are prophecies that we still refer to that he saw in a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Cyrus 
a, a king of Persia who actually sent them back to Jerusalem. He was the guy that sent them back home. And you look at their histories and start reading the histories of every one of these kings. These were not great guys at all. These were not moral men. They were not godly men. Mm-hmm. Um, but Didn't that phrase happen in the 90s or come up in the 90s of politics, the moral majority? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that a, a movement? Uh, yes. Yes. In I terms of, it may have been earlier than the I think that was nineties. I'm yeah, gonna say I think earlier. that was Falwell, but I don't know. But yeah, the yeah, moral yeah, majority. Was, yeah. Because what they were saying before was there was a silent uh majority, mm-hmm, and so they mm-hmm. they moved him into it. Here's what I love Daniel verse chapter six, verse twenty eight from Babylon. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. Here is a guy who loved the Lord, who prospered who whoever was in their version of the white house daniel prospered and that's the hope that i'm holding on to no matter which person wins this mm-hmm. no matter who god puts in power recognizing that uh you know i i people be like yeah but darren what if they're cheating what if they're you know they might be but maybe that's what god is allowing to happen to put the guy in power that he wants mm-hmm. You know, it does, if I'm being honest, it's hard to be lectured by people who spent three years putting forward a Russian collusion narrative that he stole the election in 2016, which turned out to be 100% demonstrably false. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Representative Adam Schiff would go on to news shows and say, I have seen proof of collusion. And there was no proof. He was lying to Mm -hmm. us. So I, I, there's a little bit, it's a kind of disingenuous. I kind of don't, I, I'm not really, uh, I, I don't really like hearing that. You know, did did Russia interfere in the election? That's another question. But did he collude, which was, did Trump know about it and participated in it? That's actually been proven false. So we, we actually know that. But for three, four years, everybody from Rachel Maddow to Brian Williams was trumpeting, no pun intended, mm-hmm. this. So... To hear it coming from their side now is saying that, well, there's no way they, they were cheating. And, but and now our side, of course, saying that they're cheating. It definitely, uh, I don't know. It's hard to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, don't, I guess maybe I'm already getting us caught in the, into the weeds of this. I don't mean to. Well, in, in Ezra, because it, it, it made me think of that, in the, in the book of Ezra, because Cyrus allowed the people to go back and to build their temple. And in Ezra, it actually says, they bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, Whoa, king of that. Persia. Read that one more time. They, is... they bribed, this is Ezra 4, 5. Okay. Yeah. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So this is not new information. This is not, nothing is new. Nothing new under the sun. I mean, humanity is so predictable. No, it's and, a cycle of life. And and to think of Cyrus, <laughs> Isaiah prophesied about Cyrus that he was going to do this. Yeah, by way, name, right? By name, yeah. yes. Way way before any of this happened. Incredible. And for Cyrus to let them go. Let them go and let them go build their temple. It just shows God will use anybody. Yeah. And he absolutely. can use anybody. And yeah. and like we said, there is nothing new. There's always been bribery. There's always been collusion, yeah. um, you know, as you just said. Um, and we just got to yeah. keep praying as the people of God. 
And I guess that's the thing, right? You know, because our danger would be to take God's name and attach it to my politician. Right. Yes. Take God's name and attach it to my agenda. You know, when you see the uh, the, the commandment, do not take my name in vain. Mm-hmm. It's not just what you say if you stub your toe in the middle of the night, although that you know, probably should, you know, it tells a lot about my own soul. But, <laughs> um, but it's literally taking his name mm-hmm. and then attaching it to my agenda mm-hmm. and if there's anything, if you're a, especially if you're a millennial and you have felt that from Christians that we have said that, you know, Trump is our guy or Bush was our guy uh, and then attaching God's name to that. If it feels like that, that's uh, for, that's sinful. And I'm, I'm sorry if that's how you've experienced it um, because it's not how God would experience it. Now, and the other way around would be to say that whoever that is that ends up in it. I think the maybe this is part of the beauty of how Satan can deceive us in an election because we feel like we actually have a voice in it. Mm-hmm. And because um, I went and I voted. So, I, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I have a voice and I do. But at the end of the day, God, do we not think that God could move 10,000 votes in, you know, suburban Detroit if he needed someone else in his office. I would suggest to you that's what happened four years ago, by the way. I vividly remember how shocked we all were. And it came down to those three states and not just those three states, but very specific. You know, he won Michigan. Trump won Michigan by 10,000 votes. Mm -hmm. And um, there is a, a, whether it's in Florida or wherever, the the hairpin of those things that the Lord says, hey, you know, go vote. Absolutely vote. Be a part of your, your representative government. But I'm smarter than you are. I have plans that are bigger than you know, and I'm going to put the one in power that I want in power. And so I would say, I, I don't know. Like if, if I were to flip a coin right now, I don't know who who comes out of this. Um, I vividly remember back in April and May that when Biden won the primary, none of these liberal magazines, New York Times, The Atlantic, they referred to him as the presumed Democratic candidate. Now, he had won by that point for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes, but they, he was the presumed, which I don't know. I thought there might be some tomfoolery at the convention. and they were gonna Right. Say, Who knows? <laughs> but this time, none of them are saying that. They're not saying the presumed Democratic, you know, they're, they're president. They're, they're literally calling him president-elect. Mm-hmm. There is an agenda. It's okay to say the truth that there is an agenda that they have to accomplish, uh, and that doesn't make us one way or the other, just say that's that's their agenda. And, and then on the other side, there is, you know, Trump's people, some of whom are friends of mine who are, they want every legal vote counted. Mm-hmm. I want that too. And so I know this, come January 20th, whoever is in the office, even if it's nobody, that God is still on the throne. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to say for us as Jesus people, how do we thrive? Mm-hmm in Babylon. And I think one of the ways that Daniel probably thrived in Babylon is, I mean, he served the people in power without letting the people in power change who he was. Right. Exactly. When you go back to Daniel one and you see that he did not eat the Royal food, the Royal, Mm -hmm. whatever. And you go to second Kings 25 and look at King Jehoiakim when he was in captivity and what did King Jehoiakim do? He ate the Royal food. Mm -hmm. He took the Royal thing. So two different guys in Babylon. And how do you want to be, do I, you know, be a footnote like Jehoiakim or do we want to be, Mm -hmm. you know, people of courage, like, like Daniel and, and his three friends who's, Jewish names I can never remember, but right. I, remember, Maya, uh, <laughs> right? yeah. I remember their Babylonian names. Yeah. Um, 
But their, their story, oh, it just sticks with me because they would not bow. They would not bow to the image. And then they even said, we know that God can save us from this fire, but even if he does not, yeah. we will not bow. Yeah. So that's how Jesus people are supposed to be. Yeah. And both, by the way, so with Daniel, okay, with the lion's den and also with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, both of them, the way that they're, they they ended up where they were, were being betrayed by political mm-hmm. uh, opposition who betrayed them mm-hmm. and tricked them into this and tricked you know, trick the president, so to speak, the king into this mm-hmm. with it. And so their betrayal, I, I was interested that after they recovered from it, there's no record of them yeah. going back and punishing those people who betrayed them. Right. There's um, no record of them at all after that. They're done. <laughs> They're done after that. But yeah. another part of that story is that they didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. Mm. Their clothes weren't even singed. And that when we go into a a trial when we go into the fires with Jesus yeah. we come out and our clothes don't even smell and i feel mm. like a lot of people are discouraged right now i've basically yes. kind of been keeping a low i haven't been um scrolling through social media but when i do get on there to post <laughs> inevitably always the first post that pops up is something about this election and it's always so negative it's so fearful or something and a lot of christians are so afraid and we just need to remember that in every trial that Jesus is is there with us right and our clothes aren't even going to get stained and a lot of people always um they they recite Jer- Jeremiah what what it was the verse 2311 for 20, I know 2911 2911 for I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you blah 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 and but what people tend to forget is that the Israelites, they were in captivity at that time. Yes. They were in exile. And God was saying, I have plans for you. Yeah. I'm going to give you peace. You're going to prosper. And he's saying that to the true remnant today. Yeah, He's saying, I still have plans for you. You're going to prosper. Marry off your kids. Build your businesses. Build your homes. Keep doing it. You know, seek the peace of the city. He actually tells us that. Seek yeah. the peace of the city. Don't burn it down. Don't vandalize. Don't loot. Seek the peace. Yeah. And God's word is saying that to us today. That's encouraging because, you know, when you go back to read that, and it's not a story, it happened. Like, mm-hmm. But the story of these guys thrown in this furnace, and he looks in Nebuchadnezzar, which I don't know. Like, I don't know. Was this like a fire pit when you're looking into it? Or was it like a door that he's. No, the, uh, that's my understanding is like you had to walk up to it and they just kind of like would like shove people down into down it. Into it. That's yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. That's what makes sense to me but mm-hmm. just from the storyline. But when he says the idea that they went in there, the ropes burned off of them, but their clothes did not. Mm-hmm. And he says, I, I see uh, it's Daniel three ish someone who looks like the son of God. And here's what's fascinating to me. They did not. So the doors open. They can come and go as they please. The guys that tried to throw them in there, they get burned. So <laughs> and with Jesus in the fire with them, they didn't run out. They stayed of their own volition mm-hmm. longer in the fire. And the, the some of the hope that I'm experiencing personally, 
personally right now is that when we are in fire like this, specifically fire of persecution, mm-hmm. um, you experience Jesus in a way that you do not experience him outside of the fire. Enough that sometimes you want to stay a little bit longer because this this experience that I'm having with Jesus is so unique because of this fire. And um, I, I think that whatever is to come in our country, uh, that we're going to experience Jesus in a way that we haven't experienced mm-hmm. him before. And, uh, and just like Daniel, like, we're going to thrive. We can thrive in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Whether our Babylon is, you know, Lome, uh, West Africa, Erbil, Iraq, or Nashville, Tennessee, that that Babylonian system by hanging close to the mm-hmm. Father, not letting the smoke of that get on us, you know, not letting them uh, influence and mentor and disciple us. And I, I don't know that I said it great on Sunday because it's worth repeating here. But one of the best ways, I think, to disciple our kids in Babylon, and I, I look at myself and see ways that I could be and could have done it better, is by our example. Um, how we are living with our children, how mm-hmm. we are living in front of them. Are we uh, voices of fear? Are we voices of rage? Are we vo- or, or are we voices of calm and of peace uh, at a time when the world needs voices of calm and peace? There's right. plenty of voices of anger and fear and rage. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to be that for them. Um, so that, you know, Mo, I mean, your kids, that's such a great question. Why are they putting... They're hoping that. Are they experiencing that with their friends or are they watching adults when they ask that question? Well, both. Both. Because they're all, you know, my kids are college age. And so, you know, they've got, you know, they're all their friends are their same age. So, um, so a lot of them are kind of wrestling with, with this, with, with what is happening. And, but they're also watching adults. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've been watching a lot of TV lately, you know, mainstream media news legacy news just to kind of keep up with what's going on and and they're actually interested in kind of figuring it all out and we usually get to a point after a little while where they're just like can we just turn this off because this is ridiculous yeah like it's a lot of noise it's a lot of noise it's it's Mm -hmm. people you know pontificating and Mm -hmm. raging and uh being dramatic about things and it's just like it's just too much Mm -hmm. you know and so i i can just feel i can feel their um their tension and all of this trying to figure it out and 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 trying to reconcile what what is actually happening here. Mm-hmm. What's the bigger picture? And you know, it, it's not unnoticed in the book of Daniel that he was a great man of prayer. And he counted on his friends. Yeah, thank and, you for saying that. Mm-hmm, counted on his friends as well. And even went to them and said, okay, we need to pray about this and we need to fast. Yeah, about this. for mercy, yeah. Right, right, right. So, and that's what, that's what we need to be. It's, um, I'll just share this quick story. On Monday, I was driving my kids to school and was j- literally just pulling into the um, school parking lot when my 17-year-old daughter said, Hey, Mom, isn't it funny that David brought stones to a sword fight with Goliath? She was just, think- <laughs> you know, she was just thinking about that and just kind of uttered it out loud. And I said, Yeah, it really is kind of funny how God works that way. And then as I drove away from the school, I really started to think about it. And I was on my way to prayer group at the church. And when I got there, I related that story to them, how she she had said that. And I thought, God gives stones to every single believer. We have them within our possession. Hmm. 
And he equips us and he enables us through prayer to throw those stones and to bring down the giants in the spiritual world. Mm. And that's what we're battling right now. We all around the world, not just here in America, all around the world, we're battling these principalities, you know, what it talks about in scripture. And it's not against flesh and blood. It is. I mean, Satan knows his time is short. And he is he is roaring like the lion that he is because he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And every remnant believer needs to realize the power that they have within their own hands because God has given each one of us stones. And we need to start throwing them to bring down those giants in the spirit world. Yeah, yeah. We're not throwing bricks through windows, man. Mm -hmm. We're throwing stones into the face of Satan, into Mm -hmm. the gates Mm -hmm. of hell with Mm -hmm. it. Which brings me back to Revelation 17 and 18, Mm -hmm. which is our slow plodding journey through this book. Is this, so Donna, you were at 16, the, the bowls of wrath. Can you locate us as far as in where, so let's stop and say this. We, what we're talking about is right now and the Babylonian spirit, the Babylonian idea, maybe which is being built for a future. But this is a time where there is an actual revival of what the Bible, of Babylon being revived, whether it is Rome or wherever. Where are we in tribulation period, the seven year period after the church has been taken away? In, in chapter 16? 16, 17, 18, the, yeah. Yeah. Well, in 16, those are the, the, that's the final plagues that are being poured out. That's the final wrath of God. And, and actually, I can't remember the exact verse, but there in chapter 16, it says, it, it is done. That's it. Hmm. There is no more. And so when they talk about 17 and 18, well, that's kind of, again, kind of like backstory. Like here is, here's religious Babylon, here's economic world government Babylon. And so that's kind of, again, Revelation is made up of a lot of those backstories just to show you what's happening. Yeah, like a good Netflix series, right? We got to go back and see where Walter White came from. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So, um so in Revelation 16, when it says it is done, that's it. It is done. Everything is finished. Babylon, the false religious system, the false governmental system, it's all annihilated and destroyed. And Jesus is returning at that point. Right. And so this is actually the description of Babylon being done then? Is that what this is? 16, it's done. And, that, oh, and this is what 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 it looks like, what it's done. Like this is the description of done. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, 17 and 18 just gives a, a description of what that, those Babylonian, uh, you know, the false religious system, Babylon, yeah. the prostitute, which was the false religious system. And and Babylon, the world economic, governmental, you know, the big controlling system of the world. And that's in chapter 18. So that gives you a description of each and what they've done to the world and how they've operated in the world. And we know that they're gone because in one of those chapters, I can't remember which one, but it actually says, whoa, whoa, you know, you're, you're done. You're finished. Yeah, we got a lot of woe. We got <laughs> a lot of woe. woe. And whenever Jesus pronounced woe on a city, it never came back from that woe. Hmm. It never resurrected again. So all of this is finished. God is saying right. Babylon is no more. Jesus is coming and he's going to set up his rule and reign. Right. Don't, don't have, have a 
have something to pro- uh, proffer out there. I love I love proffers with Mo. It's <laughs> a new segment. Yeah, maybe it should be. Don't don't you kind of get the feeling because you just talked about you know the the destruction of you know Babylon the 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 world government the the system in which it all kind of comes crashing down because it's based under this one idea this one um, system. But don't don't you kind of get the feeling that we're we're getting we're going full circle back to the Tower of Babel. Absolutely. 100%. Right. Right. Like, you know, in Genesis, what is it? Genesis 11, we're talking about the Tower of Babel, all one language, um, a tower to to reach the heavens. Right. We want to make a name for ourselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. So here we are, all these thousands of years later, returning back to that. So Mm -hmm. when you hear this one world government or what have you, it's this idea, this one language, one finance. You know, there's the, the newest language app out there for translations is called Babel. Did you it know is. that? I know. It's on my phone <laughs> mm-hmm. and I felt so weird. When I, <laughs> right? But it's just interesting yeah. that the, it's kind of this full circle yeah. concept, this idea, this perspective of returning yeah. the world, Satan himself, returning back to the tower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I could take it a step further. This is, uh, Donna, correct me if I'm wrong or, or, or whoever's listening, correct me because I've not uh, prepared for this part, but when you go back to Babel, you go back to a guy named Nimrod, mm-hmm. yeah. the ancient hunter, and his wife Semiramis, mm-hmm. and how uh, when he was killed, when uh, Nim- uh, Nimrod was killed, this great hunter, uh, Semiramis gave birth to a child that was miraculously conceived named Tammuz, and from that was born this pagan religion that ultimately would be felt throughout all of Babylon. And you see uh, in uh, this ancient religious around Saturnalia, which is December Mm -hmm. 25th, that they would take a a log and put it in a fire and it would burn for three days, uh, which represents Tammuz being murdered and uh, killed, but then resurrected miraculously three days later. Uh, Mm -hmm. They would decorate these evergreen trees mentioned in Jeremiah uh, or Isaiah, one of the prophets, uh, but uh, and some of you might be thinking, oh, that's that's why the Jehovah Witnesses don't celebrate Christmas. Um, but the point being that that all went through the Babylonian pagan religion, and there are remnants of it. In fact, there's a a book called A Woman Rides the Beast. Hmm. Um, I cannot remember the name of the author. He specifically he makes a case. Now I want you know I'm not 100 percent there, but he makes a case that the woman, the whore of Revelation 17, 18 actually speaks of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Not not modern Catholics necessarily, but the history yeah. of the blood of the saints on her mm-hmm. hands. Uh, the idea that this was a, a, a religion that would be in Rome, it, 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 it certainly fits. And a lot of the things that came into Roman tradition, the, the robes uh, came out of pagan religion, which is when Constantine in 300 AD marries together the religion of, of the pagans as well as the Christians. He, in a weird way, he kind of has to do what, what's trying to happen right now, which is how do you unite these two different kinds of people that are completely contrary to each other? And, you know, if you wonder why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, it's because Constantine said, okay, pagans, we're going to keep your day, but Christians, we're going to call it Christmas and we're going to have an evergreen tree. We're going to have... Uh, the uh, the Yule log and your, you know all that, but it married together and it, and there are people and look I respect you if if that's where you are uh, there are people that to this day won't actually even do that in their home 
Um, I think that it's a, there's a way which we've done, which is we say the Christmas tree, but we're going to take ownership and we're going to declare that it's the evergreen love of Christ. We can tell the gospel story through it, all that. But point being that, yes, Babylon, Babel, it all started there. That was man's first. Because when they think of Babylon, I, I used to think about like a, a tower that reached the sky, meaning uh, you know, how tall could you make it? But that wasn't it. It was astrology. Mm-hmm. looking to the stars for their God, looking to their science mm-hmm. for their God. Mm-hmm. And of course, God put the stars in the skies. And that's how the three wise men, who, by the way, came from Babylonian religion, that came to Jesus two years after his birth, uh, knew it in the star. I think they knew about Jesus because Daniel was in Babylon at the time and gave them that new tradition. But what that means for us today is uh, here we have a Babylon with some kind of mystery religion. I mean, do mm-hmm. you, would you say that, Donna? Or, or, well, I don't know. Like I, the, the 17, theologians have said that's a woman riding the beast is, the, is a religion, so it's a theocracy is what they would say. Right, right. Y- you know, you talked about on Sunday how uh, the Bible is a tale of two cities, yeah. and it's also the tale of two women. It's, righteous, it's a righteous woman and a wicked yeah. you woman. Yeah, we can say whore. Yeah, I know we're not right. in King James. Just, I, I love the King James when I was a kid because I got to say naughty words. So anyway. But yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was stepping on your point. No, I mean, it, and it and it goes all through Scripture, the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. You see these um, examples of wicked women and you see them of righteous women all the way through to the, um, to the book of Revelation, where it is the whore and the bride. They come complete opposites yeah, and juxtaposed right here. Right, right. And in Zechariah five, it's interesting because in Zechariah's vision, if you remember, he saw a woman in a basket. I mean, how strange is that? A woman in a basket. Hmm. And then there, he he says that he saw two two women with wings. Doesn't call them angels at all, but two women with wings come, and they are taking this basket. Said the woman's name is wickedness. Hmm. And they're taking her to Shinar, which is Babylon. And that's where she will stay and they'll build a home for her there and a foundation. Now, isn't that interesting? A woman named Wickedness and her foundation is going to be there in Babylon. That's going to be her home. Wow, 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 wow. And we see that all the way in Revelation again. It's this woman riding the beast. And I, I found this interesting. I, I wish I would have looked it up to to tell you which cultures because I can't remember. But in on cave walls in ancient cultures, they all have pictures of a woman on top of a beast. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't text each other pictures of, hey, look what we did on our cave. What are you doing on your cave wall? But this paganism just spread through these ancient cultures. It was these women riding beasts. And there we get again, we see it in Revelation, the end of the Bible. And I truly believe that Satan's plan The moment that God revealed his plan in Genesis 3.15, that her seed will crush Mm -hmm. your head, that Satan began to, I mean, he's, okay, a virgin birth, right? Mm -hmm. So trying to destroy anybody that would have virgin birth, Mm -hmm. but also then creating its own mythology to, you know, to distract Mm -hmm. with with that. Um, And Jesus and God was like, I'm going to have my bride. And Satan says, well, I'm going to have mine too. Yeah, it feels like this (laughs) warring... Right. um, these two these these two 
entities warring against each other. It's the, the true faith of believers. You talk about the bride of Christ and then this counterfeit faith that's found in, you know, the, the prostitute, the whore, mm-hmm. um, this, this counterfeit faith mm-hmm. that is, that's, that is not true. It's a, it's a false religion. Yeah. And it's, it's Satan trying to create something that, um, that will worship him, that, mm-hmm. that will create his allegiance. Right. And, and in the, um, Oh, which cha- was it? Chapter two is the the Church of Thyatira. I can't remember if that's chapter two or three. or chapter three. But they talk about Jezebel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you know that wicked woman Jezebel, who's who's in there. She calls herself a prophet, but she's a false teacher, yeah. and she tolerates sin. She is encouraging, uh, you know, sexual immorality and idol worship within the church. And, you know, the Bible tells it, well, there's no real repentance within that church. There's no change within that church. And the Bible tells us they're the church that goes into the, the tribulation. They're the church that continues on. And it's that church at Philadelphia, that good church, that church who's worshiping God, that church who is following Jesus. They are the church that is, is taken they're from the very hour they're not going to enter right. the tribulation but that church at Thyatira will and it's just again so amazing she it was prominent that the woman Jezebel the wicked woman Jezebel is brought up right right and I've thought about it in terms of so this is the you know this is the part where I'm going to say something where people could could Sorry, knocked over my trash can. Argue, this is this is the thus saith the Darren, and I'm interested in what it could mean. You know, whatever it means, we don't know. But Revelation 17 talks about a woman uh, riding the beast in a, a religion controlling this one world government that the beast. And so he, he strikes a, a relationship with them, and ultimately he has to throw the woman off because the religion uh, itself. So there's that whole imagery here. Uh, throughout Revelation, but something that has been fascinating to me watching lately has been radical jihadist Islam on the rise in Europe. And, you know, one of the things that you would see uh, from people who say that this represents the Catholic Church, they talk about the the vast wealth Mm -hmm. that this woman has. It speaks of her wealth. Uh, It speaks of the blood of the saints that are on her hands all of that from especially the early roman catholic church mm-hmm. uh and, and even to today that's the, the woman rides the beast he makes a case for that that they're the largest landholder in the entire world is the roman catholic church and i have been to the vatican um it felt not great to me there like it felt like wow there's and it's a small little country right and it mm-hmm. But something is interesting that's happening right now in Europe that is different, and that is the rise of radical Islam. And the idea that the, uh, these countries have that we can coexist with this, not understanding that even in peaceful Islam, theocracy is actually um, a non-negotiable. Like that's, that's just what you do, the theocracy. So whether you're Saudi Arabia, Jordan, whatever, that your government and your religion are intertwined is like, that's just what, that's what Islam is. It's a government. That's when the people that are afraid of Sharia law, that's what they're talking about. But just this last week, in the middle of our election, when everything's going crazy with coronavirus and things, uh, 
again, this Charlie Hebdo, who is a, 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 an artist and uh, in a magazine, and he's written these, drawn these cartoons that have caused uh, radical Islam to uh, go crazy about it. You know, think think about that. Like the things that they say, whether you're Bill Maher or John Stewart, and how much they <laughs> mock Christianity. Mm-hmm. In you know, I don't like it so much. Like mm-hmm. I, I wish they wouldn't, but it has never occurred to me. To, to find, kill them? <laughs> yeah, find Bill Maher and cut his head off right. with a steak knife. That right. doesn't cross my mind. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of Muslims, it wouldn't cross their minds either. But this was, this struck me just this week because Macron said what Macron should have said, the president of France, uh, that that's a, that's a freedom of speech issue here. And the Islamic world, Hezbollah claim, they, they roundly condemn Macron that this is crazy, that you should, you know, this is not a free speech issue. Morocco, which is a moderate Islamic country, says this is not a free speech issue. This is a crime that should be punishable by prison or death. Uh, Jordan, peaceful Jordan. I, I think the king of Jordan is a total Rambo president, like he's flying fighter jets or whatever. And peaceful Jordan says this is not free speech. This is a crime. Saudi Arabia uh, Pakistan. Actually, one of the guys in Pakistan, one of their parliament guys, is actually calling for uh, to, for France to be nuked by Pakistan. Wow. So my point is, mm-hmm. this is if you're trying to build a relationship with Islam in your government, it's very complicated mm-hmm. because even the moderates, if you do something that uh, they would not view it that way. So I've I have wondered, is it uh, a, a revived Roman Empire? But is Islam the false religion and not Catholicism. Because Islam, when you think about what we just talked about, there's a false, uh, there's a there's the bride of Christ and there's the whore of Babylon. There's these opposites. Islam is full of that. Uh, every biblical hero is the opposite in, in Islam. So I don't know that. And by the way, that is not a uh, an, uh, any sort of a, hey, we now need to be scared of Muslims, no. If anything, we need to be on the winning Muslims to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I shared it on Sunday, but man, it's so exciting to hear radical Islamist militants who are coming to Christ because their caliphate let them down, and they're seeing Jesus, and now they're going as uh, missionaries to. They don't call it Iraq; they call it the land of Daniel. In Babylon, there are missionaries going there right now. They have nothing to do with America at all, but with Jesus people coming to Jesus who were former. Uh, and, and this, the guy that I've talked to, I can't say his name, um, but I believe him and he's credible. And he said thousands. He said, no, I don't think it's tens of thousands, but it's definitely thousands mm-hmm. of these that are relocating their families there. So Jesus is on the move mm-hmm. in, even inside of Islam. But whatever it is, there is a religion that gets involved with the government and the beast decides this is no fun. I'm going to overthrow and throw off this religion. And that ultimately uh, what we see now is this lament in chapter 18 for Babylon, which is the lament. It's interesting. It reminds me of Psalm 137 when it, uh, the psalmist said, or oh, maybe I got the wrong number, but we sat on the shores of Babylon and we wept for Jerusalem, and now this is a lament not for Jerusalem, but for for Babylon. Yeah, man's is, man's system is going to be done. It's over. Yeah, the system that they created, the system without God. Because as I talked about on that um, 
Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago, if you're going to have a Babylonian culture, you have to push God out. Yeah, there's no room for God in Babylon. No, there's no room. And at this point, they are mourning now because they've pushed God out, they've gotten everything they want, and now he's destroying it. So Darren, modern day Babylon is obviously middle of Iraq, and the, 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 the religion there would be Islam. Yeah, it's it's really interesting if you if you look to see um, how obsessed Saddam Hussein was with Nebuchadnezzar. Have you read any about this? Yes. Study any of this? Yes. It's fascinating. He he uh, idolized Nebuchadnezzar, uh, built statues of him in his palace. Yeah, he's a hero. Yeah, he he would be like the founding father, right? Of Babylon would be their founding father. Yeah, there are buildings in Babylon that actually have Nebuchadnezzar's name carved into the bricks that were built by Saddam. Mm. Yeah. Um, and an interesting dialogue in all that is that Saddam was a Sunni president, Sunni Islam, which is the vast majority of Islam in the world is Sunni. So Saudi Arabia, all that. But, uh, but the vast majority of Iraq was actually Shia Islam. And so when you go back even to the 80s, the war with Khomeini was actually, uh, it wasn't a, a territory war. It was a religious war, mm-hmm. and the war is for their version of Islam. And so, even though it's only ten percent of Islam in the world is Shia, it's Hezbollah, it's Syria, it's Iran, uh, most of of uh, of Iraq, uh, Hezbollah. That is all Shia. Uh, Saudi Arabia, the rest of them, it's all Sunni. And so, some of even what we're seeing in this peace uh, deal with Israel are Sunni nations making peace with Israel because they're scared of Shia Islam as well. And it would be fascinating if it would be Shia Islam to be the one that is the woman riding the beast. Mm. Um, because it is their version of Islam, by the way. Now, and people say, which one was, which which one's more radical? Well, the 19 of the 20 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia and they were Sunni. But inside of um, Shia Islam, their version of the Messiah coming back there, you know, the, the Mahdi, who they would refer to, they can speed up his return with bloodshed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're supposed to bring bloodshed. So th- when you see Hezbollah and all that, and I have friends in Beirut right now who are missionaries living there full time, and Jesus is doing great things in Lebanon as well. But uh, this is, it is fascinating when you think about the, 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 the world itself. We're trying to secularize it all, and they're over there, oh, no, no, this is actually religious. Like you guys can say this is tribal and territorial but it's not mm-hmm. this is a religious war mm-hmm. can, do we want to go maybe just a little bit deeper with another potential yes Mo has been gone for two weeks so I wanted to bring whatever you got <laughs> we're talking about the bride which is the faith of believers right the mm-hmm. the promise the promised land the promised people um, and in the whore the prostitute whatever we want to call it and you're talking about this idea of maybe Islam versus Christianity. And does this not harken back to uh, Ishmael and Isaac <laughs> and Abraham and Sarah, mm-hmm. which is his bride? Uh huh. Sure. And Hagar, the the concubine. The concubine. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, absolutely. There's, there's obvious, there seems to be a. Oh, yeah. The fight goes all the way back to that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because in the Quran, it's the opposite. Ishmael was the chosen right. one. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Hagar was, and Sarah and uh, mm-hmm. Isaac were not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I love that 
only because, um, first of all, God does say to Hagar, uh, he has a promise for Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to be a, a promised land. And by the way, he also says in your, your generations will fight and they will war. And mm-hmm. many of what you see right now is actually from that. Mm-hmm. And But inside of all that, the book of Galatians tells us that that is actually a picture of the law and grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that Sarah and Isaac represent the promise and the and, and, the, mm-hmm. and the, the promised Jesus and, and Hagar and Ishmael rep- represent the law and the works and to uh, to send them packing, you know, is, is we don't, is, is, and of course in their lives, they, they thought they were just living and God was saying, but I'm going to actually use this for a story. And it's mm-hmm. one of the, the greatest when the Bible tells you to make no provision for the flesh. Uh, there's a picture of that, of sending Isaac out into, or Ishmael out into the wilderness without any provision for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, That's how you starve the flesh, send it out. Mm-hmm. And, but even in that, I would say that God did save Ishmael. God saved uh, miraculously mm-hmm. uh, because he does have a promise and that's why there are I think Muslims all over the world uh, turning their faith to Jesus and so Arabs and Persians and Lebanese right. and Yemeni and all that every tribe nation and tongue will uh, be around the throne and right. so there are people from all of those and so redeeming we, it redeeming it yeah mm-hmm. and in the middle of that the false religion that um, you know yeah. when, well in Genesis uh, even when Abraham asked God Oh, oh, that Ishmael, Ishmael may stand before you, meaning that he would be the one who would have the the, the promised land. And and God said, no, it, the, the, the promise is not for him. It's for Isaac. But God in his great goodness and his grace and his mercy, he said, but I'm going to bless I'm going to bless him. Yeah. And think about, and, and he's going to be the father of, of many nations, and, yeah. and and think about the the Arabs, how many Arab countries there are, how wealthy those countries are, top exporters in oil and gas. God has by far kept his promise yeah. to Abraham for his son. Yeah, and what a blessing for it, because, mm-hmm. you know, speaking with our friend who is in North Africa, who came to Christ uh, by the way, he came to Christ. He he heard a Christian radio guy talking about Jesus and Allah, and he got so mad he wrote a letter to the radio station. And, and when I look back on it, he was explaining to me what he got. What he got was like automatic mail. Uh, you know, when you write a, a, a television yeah. show, it just automatically sends you a thing mm-hmm. or whatever. And so he kept writing back. But as he was searching, because here's what here's what he told me. I'll, I'll call him uh, Patrick for this conversation he told me darren the thing that i figured out ultimately with islam was that the only way out of islam was deeper into islam mm-hmm. um that i i went so deep in and i was trying to defend it was almost like a josh mcdowell version of it. i was trying to defend atheism and i find out it was real he was trying to defend islam and realized that i came down to two things i was either going to be a radical terrorist or i was going to be a christian uh that the deeper i went into islam mm-hmm. the, the further I, I had to get out of it and so that's what he does right now. And by the way, our church is a huge supporter of that. We have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. investing in the church in North Africa amongst Muslims. And he told me that there are, he said they can't keep up with the calls and the contacts they're getting right now for these churches. And they, um, and here's what they do. And we'll get, we're going to end it on this because we got, we're, we're at an hour and we'll come back and finish next week or whatever. But they actually, in a church there, they, they, they drive into town on a, in a car and their guys on the edge of town with keys, they rent apartments. And so he just pays a guy for a key and he gets an apartment for three months. And that little church of eight to 10 people, 
Uh, that's where they meet for three months, and but they can't meet longer than that because the government gets onto it, and so they go to another. And here's what is cool about it. I sort of bring all that up because the coronavirus lockdowns yeah. uh, are causing large churches to have tra- challenges. But he's saying their churches are actually kind of thriving right now because that's what they do anyway. And yeah. so their their government restrictions are pretty strict, but they've loosened right now. But that's you know one of the things he's asking for financially right now is helping to pay for more apartments uh, for that's more. Cool. For more churches, so we get a chance wow. uh, to be a, to be a part of that, and so uh, we'll pick up this when we come back because uh, this Sunday at conduit, if uh, which would be whatever, so it's November twelfth, so whatever it is, November fifteenth, fourteenth, sixteenth, whatever. <laughs> 15th. 15th. Throw out one more date. Uh, <laughs> really confuse people. I, I am. Uh, I'm going to talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb in chapter 19 um, this weekend because there is hope in all of that. Donna, do you have any last words before we? Uh, before we end. You know, when you were talking about Muslims, I, I just really would encourage people. You can find it on YouTube. It's a documentary called Sheep Among Wolves. Oh, yeah. yeah volume yeah. two. Sheep Among Wolves, volume two. To watch that because it tells the story in Iran of countless Muslims who are coming to Christ because of dreams and visions. And yeah. it's incredible. And as believers here on the other side of the world, we should be praying that God would pour out his spirit in dreams and visions for Muslims around the world. Yeah. I have met two people personally that have had that experience. Hmm. The man in white saying things to them that turned out to be from the Bible, but they didn't know that because they didn't have a Bible. Uh, and multiply that by God only knows how many you know mm-hmm. around the world. Mo, any last thoughts? Yeah, the only thing that's kind of been on my heart this week is just to kind of challenge challenge believers, challenge the church, our listeners, to spend more time, and Donna alluded to this, but spend more time in prayer, spend more time in the Word than on your phone. Yeah, absolutely. And then on than watching TV, watching mm-hmm. the news, trying to participate in social media mm-hmm. debates. Like, just stop. It's toxic. It's toxic. For your there's, spirit. There's, there's, there's not much good that can come from mm-hmm. that, honestly. And so, just, just challenging those listening, and starting with myself, um, to minimize our time on those things and maximize our time in the Word, mm-hmm. maximize our time um, in prayer, and 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 just slowing down, retracting a little bit. And in listening to what maybe the spirit is speaking to you and probably one of the best ways to, to listen or to hear the spirit is to eliminate the noise mm-hmm. around you. And so that would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and remember and the right. stones that God has given you. Remember them. Yes. They're in your hands and start yeah. throwing them yeah. into throwing the spirit the world. Gates of hell. Yep. Yeah. I guess a good metric would be by that. If I've spent more time reading the news than I have reading the word, then I've got maybe the, you know, mm-hmm. if, if I'm just looking for a simple metric. Yeah. You know, if I've spent more time watching the news than on my knees praying, then I've, I've already got that backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know some people that um, they say, I'm going to check it once a day um, and then that's it. I'm not going to. So wh- whatever the metric is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Start somewhere. Yeah. Don't let Babylon control the narrative for mm-hmm. you. Daniel 1, that's the first thing they did in Babylon. Daniel, we're going to teach you our ways. We're going to teach you mm-hmm. our language. We're going to teach you our literature. And Daniel became wise because he didn't forget the word of God and all of that. So when they serve him this food, he says, no, that's not in the word of God. I'm not going to do it that way. Right. Um, and in Revelation 18, speaking of Babylon, God says, come out of her, my people. Mm. 
come out of Babylon. Yeah. So let's do that this mm-hmm. week. <laughs> let's do that this week in, in our Babylonian experience. And um, Mo, if they want to keep up with us, so people, if you've made it this far and you're listening to this and we have no idea, how, how do they stay in touch with us? How do they keep up with us? We would love for you to maybe even join us uh, on a Sunday uh, in person in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, and you can find our address, the church address at our website. And you can read up about what we're doing there and or stream the service through uh, conduitchurch.com. You can get all the information about our services. And uh, 10 a.m. every Sunday, uh, stream through our YouTube channel. Um, all of our updates you can find at facebook.com too. Just search Conduit. It's an easy name to search. Not too many other churches out there named Conduit Church. We did find that there's one other church in America. It's in yeah. New York. Yeah, and if you're from Conduit Church in upstate New York and you found our podcast on accident, <laughs> we love you guys. I'd love to meet your pastor someday. The only other guy in the country to name his church yeah, the dumb name cool. that we did. So. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're super grateful for that. Thank you for everyone who is helping us to continue to put the gospel forward. When you hear stuff like this, uh, if it doesn't move us toward uh, the nations, if it doesn't move us toward evangelism and towards preaching the gospel, and in, whether you're preaching it yourself or you're investing, you're a go or you're a sender, it should move us all towards that. And thank you for those of you that have done that. Uh, we did just have one more family go free on Monday in South Asia uh, I, I'm excited to hear what Jesus is doing in those churches over there. And you've, you've been a part of all of that. So for your generosity, I just can't thank you enough. Uh, someday in heaven, when we say righteous and true are your judgments, maybe we'll get to say it next to the, one of those families, you know, from that. Yeah, so cool. thank you for being with us. Thank you, Donna. Always thank you. Absolutely. And, uh, thanks, Mo. Great being with Mo again. Yeah. Good to be back. Good to keep our, our table isn't wobbling today. So. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. We will uh, catch you next time on the Deeper Podcast.